Episode 36, The Story You're Afraid to Say with Tyler Foley. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Michelle, myself, and our guest, Tyler Foley, discuss how the things we are most afraid to say is often the thing your audience needs to hear the most. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome to the story in your head. Today, Michelle and I are joined by Tyler Foley. Tyler is the author of The Power to Speak Naked, which helps people overcome their fear of public speaking. He is also the managing director of Total Buy-In, which is an organization designed to help empower people to find their voice and to share their message. I believe Michelle has the first question, so I'll hand it over to you and let's get started. I believe Michelle has the first question, so I'll hand it over to her, and let's get started. Welcome to the story in your head. We're thrilled to have you with us today. Oh, it's my joy to be here, Michelle. Great. I'd like to start the first question because I, I just can't help myself. And your your book, The Power to Speak Naked, Like, what's yes. the story behind that one? The story behind the title or the story behind the book? Because they're two different stories. Well, yep, both you of choose. Them. Yeah. Well, that's that's Yeah. Yes. Yes and yes. The story behind the title is when I was writing the book, and more specifically, I spoke my book. The book came from all of the training sessions that I do as a public speaking trainer. And I have hours and hours and hours and hours of footage of me doing what I do. And we transcribe that audio to become the book as a quick way to get the book out. And when I was working with my team, I was up against a publishing deadline. We needed to have the cover art done. We needed to have the title. It was still an untitled project by Tyler. <laughs> and so I, you know, I think like 11th hour, I'm, I'm with my team and we're doing a brainstorming session. And I remember saying, okay, it's a, it's an advice book. What? So let's, let's start with some advice that you've gotten as a public speaker, like go. And one of the guys on my team had said, oh, well, you, you picture your audience naked. And I went off on this tirade. I was like, no, you you don't picture your audience naked. It is in fact the absolute worst advice ever. I don't know why this advice has come across. I don't know who started it or why, but it is, it's narcissistic at the least. It is ineffective at best. Why, you know, you sh- your audience is a sacred gift. You should be honoring them, not trying to find power through their discomfort, you know, all of this stuff. And, and at the end of the rant, I said, I would rather give my... I would rather train somebody and give them the power to speak naked than to have them picturing the audience naked themselves. And as soon as I said it, everybody kind of like their heads snapped around and were like, well, that's, that's, a, that's a title. Huh? That would work. Power to speak naked. I like it. And then as we started to explore what that meant to me, the title really has multiple layers. The first one being, I legitimately feel that you could 
give an effective talk in the emperor's new clothes if you were so compelling nobody would even notice like if you have the true inner confidence in your in your messaging in what you have to say you could go out and give a talk naked in fact i've done it once for charity and <laughs> the audience was more uncomfortable than i was and after about five minutes of them thinking is he really do he's doing this why is he doing this charity we're doing this for charity i i politely stepped behind the podium just to to give them a little bit more comfort but i was i was happy to do it because i was confident in what i was doing and had a good reason for doing it the way that i did it but i on the another layer we don't need the the powerpoints we don't need the props we don't need the av we should be able to have a conversation just the way that you and i are right now without the gimmicks so to strip the talk down to a raw naked presentation without any superfluous things and then at its at its true deep rooted core i strongly believe that the thing that you're afraid to say is what your ideal audience needs to hear and a lot of that comes with exposing the raw naked truth, letting the world see who we are in, in all of our glory. And that doesn't mean being crazy like me and taking off all your clothes, but it does mean being brave and exposing the inner parts of your self that you don't necessarily want the world to see and having the power and the confidence to do that. So that's, that's how the title came about. Great. Thanks. Tyler, you said something in there that triggered me was the, the thing that you're afraid to say. Mm -hmm. is what your audience needs to hear. Yes. Say more about that. So oftentimes people will come to me and they're struggling with finding their avatar, finding their ideal client, and they will be saying a lot of things that they think are right without being true to themselves. They're being honest without being truthful. And what I have discovered is there is often part of our story that we want to leave out because we're either afraid of it, we're embarrassed by it, we don't think anybody else will understand. There's always a justification and excuse for why we don't say this little bit of the story. You know, I'm a public speaker, how can I say that I've had stage fright? Right? Well, everybody has stage fright even the most confident of us. I, I've been performing since I was six years old. I don't experience stage fright often, but I have experienced stage fright. I know exactly what it is. And I know exactly why it comes. And I, I know that I don't like it, you know, so being able to tell those stories that are impactful, usually start with the thing that you're afraid to say, you know, this is who I really, really am. And when you have the courage and the freedom to do that, that's when your story resonates with people because they're like, I thought I was the only one. Oh, I'm so glad somebody else said that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a room? And, you know, I, I, I found I, this happened more when I was in, in like school, right? Particularly in, in senior high where you'd be given an assignment or, or something, right? And everybody's kind of reading through and they're looking and, maybe it was an exam and then the question was worded wrong and nobody says anything, but they're all kind of, you're all looking around and it's, uh, all of a sudden somebody goes, I don't quite understand question eight. And then all of a sudden everybody goes, yeah, me neither. No, I was totally struggling with that. I don't get it. How did that happen? And then the teacher looks and goes, 
Oh, the, uh, I worded that wrong. Uh, the you got thanks for noting that. Thanks for speaking up. Right. Same thing with our powerful stories. We always think that we're the only one who could have ever possibly experienced this. And then all of a sudden you start to say, well, this happened to me in this time period. I was at a summit about, I, I guess, a week and a half ago on sexual abuse. And I was, I was talking about an incident that happened with my sister. And, and there was a, I could see there was a small group of, of men that didn't, weren't resonating, right? And I said, you know, and it happened to me too. And as soon as I said that, and as soon as, right, that's a bit that I don't like to share very often. As soon as I said it, all of a sudden, you could see these, this group here who felt very isolated because as men, we're really not supposed to talk about this, right? And, and it certainly doesn't happen. A, a man can't, can't be raped. And when I started to talk about my experience, all of a sudden, these gentlemen started to speak up. And, they, I, and it was, it was that I thought I was the only one experience. And it's, it's a thing that's very uncomfortable for me to talk about. I don't like to bring it up very often, but that's when you have impact. You know, and I've seen this thousands, I have a thousand stories of where I've seen this have impact. So that thing that you're afraid to say is very likely what your ideal audience needs to hear in that, in that moment. And if you have the freedom, if you're brave enough to free yourself of the burden of it, you can free somebody else's burden. And that's important. Yeah, thanks. I can relate on that and so many levels. I think a stage fright, I think a group fright, right? The hell with the stage. I've done that, right? Where you're sweating yeah. to you get going, never mind just sitting in a, in a group of folks. And one of the things we talk about a lot is, is the story we have in our own head, right? About why it might not be safe mm -hmm. to speak up or why certain things you, you don't do. So for yourself and, and others, any advice on like, what story did you have to change for yourself for that bravery, right? To come out and have that conversation? Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Michelle, because it actually, you had said something in the introduction to that question that touches on what the reality is. And that is, we're not actually afraid of public speaking. None of us, well, there, there is a very small, 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 small percentage of us that is actually afraid of public speaking, but it's certainly not the 77% that is often cited as a statistic. If we were genuinely afraid of public speaking, commerce as we know it would collapse. If anybody has ever been to a restaurant and ordered food, you spoke in public. If you didn't know your wait staff, you spoke to a complete stranger. And if you looked at the menu, decided, I want this and asked the waiter to bring you that, you got what you asked for. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public, we're afraid to ask for what we want, we're afraid to speak to strangers, all of these things are null and void if you've ever ordered food at a restaurant. The reality is, and you attached to it, we're afraid of public judgment. That is really the root cause of the majority of stage fright. And it's usually triggered by one of two common events. There are other things that can create it, but usually it's either somebody was called upon early on in grade school to you know, do some kind of presentation or, or answer a question that they weren't prepared for and everybody laughed at them. And so they've gotten this false impression that when they use their voice, they are judged negatively or they grew up in a household where children were to be seen and not heard. 
And there was this underlying psychological development where if I use my voice, negative things happen. And so it's this association with using and speaking up, using your voice to to say what you want that has negative consequences. Either you are disciplined or you are not talked to. The reality is those are very small sample sizes of your general use of your voice and your opinion. And the reality is if you have a platform, if you've been given the opportunity to speak as I am right now, the audience is on your side. If, if people didn't want to listen to what you and I and Ron were talking about right now, they would just tune out, especially in a podcast, right? We just no skip to the next one, boop, and call it a day. In a live audience, they would just get up and leave, you know, or they just don't, they don't even show up. If you have an audience that's in front of you, they're on your side. They want you to succeed. And if you've been asked to present, you are the expert. So if you can start to change that story in your head, to know that if you've been given this opportunity to speak, you are the expert and the audience is on your side, it starts to become a lot easier to dispel that public judgment fear. They're not judging you. They, they may be judging you, but they're judging you in a positive light. Right When your audience tuned into this right now, I promise you, they, they were like, oh, we're going to do the story in our head and I'm going to tune in today. Nobody, when they downloaded this episode, thought to themselves, oh, I hope this Tyler Foley guest uh, sucks. I just, I really, really hope that, you know, whoever Ron and Michelle brings on today is going to be absolutely awful and bring absolutely no value to this. I'll probably listen to the end, but I'm really hoping that he screws up a lot, doesn't know what he's talking about, and frankly, is just a waste of my time. They don't think that. They think the opposite. And yet, so much of that story in our head when we go to give a presentation is... What if I screw up? What if I forget this? What if they don't like me? What if, what if? And we're so busy creating this negative story that we forget about the positive story. What if something I say changes somebody's life? What if I have real impact? What if I give that one tidbit, you know, even if it's only one thing that somebody can take away and use, that's one thing that they didn't have prior to us having this conversation. And that's the what ifs that we need to focus on. The audience is on your side. You are the expert. And if they didn't want to be there, they wouldn't be. Even if you're asked to give a presentation in a boardroom and your boss has volunteered you that you're going to do it. And the people are expected as part of their job to show up to said boardroom presentation. At worst, they're passively indifferent to your message. Nobody wants you to fail. In fact, they want you to succeed so that that wasn't a waste of their time because there were so many other things that they could be doing. And if they genuinely didn't want to be there, there's usually an excuse not to show up to the meeting. I've got this thing, right? Thank you. So Tyler, several times now, in fact, I think you're up to around nine or 10 times, you've used the word story. Yes. Uh, and it's in the name of our podcast. So what is story for you or how does it, what is it, what role does it play in your life story? Oh, well, it it's how we communicate as human beings, you know, for eons, we as a society have used story to communicate ideas. And to me, everything gets illustrated by a story. In fact, Les Brown says it best, never make a point without a story, never tell a story without a point. We use story to illustrate our point of view. It's how we can communicate our point of view. They say never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, I can't physically walk in your shoes. You know, they're not 
we have different size feet and maybe I don't like the style and we are geographically dispersed. Like I can't come to you right now and walk in your shoes, but you tell me a story or I tell you a story and suddenly I can see the world through your eyes. And when I can see the world through your eyes, I can start to understand your viewpoint. I don't necessarily have to agree with it, but I can understand your viewpoint. You can communicate to me why you see the world the way that you do. And it helps me gain understanding to the world as you see it, because we all observe this world differently. And it's through the power of story that I can gain empathy, that I can gain sympathy, that I can gain understanding. To me, story is how we communicate. And it's the lack of story that creates breakdown in communication. Yeah, thanks. To build on that, so you said you've been acting since you were six, got a lot of accomplishments, a lot of bravery and, and nakedness, and I hope it wasn't in Calgary in the winter or, or at least indoors for for that one. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of friends in Canada, and I'm a wimp. I live in South Florida, so, so that's not my thing. But what stories did you have to change in yourself, right? To It seems like you've made a lot of shifts and turns in your life. And did stories have to change for you to do that? Yes. Uh, and they're constantly changing. My viewpoints are constantly changing and I'm, I'm constantly changing the narrative in my head. One of the narratives that I had in my early twenties was that I was going to be a bachelor for the rest of my life. And that held true into my thirties. But then I met my wife and she changed my mind. I was like, no, no, I know what I did say. <laughs> I know how I felt then, but she's different. And, you know, in fact, to the point where it absolutely shocked my family. They're like, you're doing what now? I'm like, I know I'm getting married. Like, mm, are you sure? To the point too, like we, my wife and I were engaged for 26 months, dated for two years prior to us getting engaged. I, I wanted to give her a real long runway to be able to, to for her to change her mind because I'm like I know what I want to do but you might change your mind in, in a little bit and I'm, I'm so thankful every day that I've managed to convince her to stay so those are you know that that was a story that changed another one was that I, I wasn't good enough right I was constantly comparing myself to other actors who were booking bigger roles or booking more often or they were getting more auditions or they were auditioning for different things and I forgot that Talent doesn't book you a gig. Talent gets you the audition. And as long as you're auditioning, you have talent or the casting director wouldn't call you back. It's very similar to what I say with the public speaking. You know, if you've been asked to speak, you've already got, you're already the authority or they wouldn't ask. We don't ask second best to do a thing. We ask the best to do a thing. If you've been asked, you are the best for that situation. And so for me, I had to start changing that story of, as long as I'm auditioning, I, I do have talent because if I didn't have talent, I wouldn't get the auditions. They just simply wouldn't call. I wouldn't have an agent. I just simply wouldn't be represented. Uh, I have an agent. I'm auditioning regularly and those opportunities come. And then the other thing is too, again, change of perspective changes the story. As soon as I got onto the other side of the camera and I wasn't acting and I got involved in casting and producing and directing, all of a sudden it made sense. I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with the talent. I get booked not because I'm talented, but because of fit for role or other things. There's a thousand different factors that go into why an individual is or is not cast. I didn't get cast once I found out later because I had blue eyes and I was playing the son of a 
you know, a fairly famous actor was going to when I auditioned. And they ended up casting a gentleman with, you know, blonde hair, brown eyes. And I'm the opposite. I'm dark hair, blue eyes. And they just said, this isn't a, this wouldn't be a, a fit for, for this family dynamic to have the, these kind of traits. So we're going to go with the brown eyed kid. Well, there you go. You know, brown eye got it. Blue eye didn't. I can't change my blue eyes. And it had nothing to do with talent. Talent got me in there. So it was it was as those stories evolved, I start to always it's constant reflection and and retelling of of stories because that's all they are, right? It the how I perceive the world is is a fiction that I'm creating. And it's up to me to tell it how I want it. Thanks, Tyler. Let's say you've noticed you have a story in your head that you don't like, mm -hmm. right? It's not the one you want. What, what's mm -hmm. your strategy or what's your process for creating it differently? Well, the first one is, is literally to script out the opposite, right? I, I love to explore what is the opposite of this and what would it look like to, if I turned it that way, right? And uh, a thing that I, I learned from Dr. John Demartini there's a yin and yang to the world. So anytime you're experiencing this, you're also experiencing this and you're, you're focused over here. And so you can change that lens there. You know, life works in a sinusoidal wave. There's always constant ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, and trying to find the truth in the perceived reality is often really what becomes my focus. So if I, if I'm stuck in a story, if I'm stuck in a pattern, the first thing to do is what is the story and what is the pattern? It's to quickly do that analysis and understand what is it that I'm doing and why am I doing it? Is it default programming? Where did the default programming come from? And then it's through that exploration that I get to then play with the what if. What if it was different? And now how do I make that different? Do I even want to make it different? That's the other thing too. Sometimes we're happy and set. Is it a thing that I need to change? Or is it a thing that I'm going to accept? And so it's going through and looking at what is the story that I'm telling myself? And does it serve me? If it doesn't serve me, why am I telling that story? What is the opposite of that story? And can I start to create that narrative? And that's often the technique that I use. And I do it actually, it's a, it, I came to understand it's a thing that I'm doing through a lot of the work that I've done working with some great self-development giants, but it's actually a thing that I knew how to do from acting. One of the things that they teach you very early on is when you're exploring a script to start to look at contrast for what your initial thought is, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. if you want to play this super angry, okay, well now what if you played it happy or what if you played it passive? Or what if, and that's when a lot of that really crazy dynamic comes out. And that's when really good performance comes out. So it's a thing that I learned early on and then realized that it didn't just apply to script work, but it could actually apply to your life. And it was a really yeah. fun realization in my late thirties to be like, oh, hey, look at that. Yeah. So it sounds like you've helped a lot of people with public speaking. Mm -hmm. What do you usually find and what advice would you give for people? Like, why would they choose you to help them? with their public speaking stories. I'm going to call it that, right? Their story that they made up that they're not good at this or can't do this or whatever story that they have <sighs> in their head. And, and by the way, thank you for the not good enough. That's, that's one of my favorite lines to myself. So, 
So any help on that one to mm-hmm. continue to work it is, is greatly appreciated. That always got me on stage sometimes too. But what would you suggest for people? What do you do? How do you help them? Well, uh, again, there's two different stories that I help people work with. And both of them come from, you know, 36 plus years in stagecraft. And the first story is what is your story? Right. So a lot of people come to me because I have a really fun system. In fact, the first part of the system we can do on air. And that is a lot of people come. Well, I don't even have a story to tell. I'd be like, everybody has a story to tell. And the first thing that I tell people to do is take your age, round to the nearest five, divide that number by five to create five time periods in your life, and look at each one of those time periods and ask yourself, what is the most significant memory that I have from that time? And by significant, I mean the one that pops to your mind first. So if I said, you know, for me, if I do this exercise, I'm 42, I round down to 40 divide by five, it gives me time periods of of every eight years. So from zero to eight, what is the most significant memory that I have? And it's two, and they're both auditory. But if I think back to if somebody says, well, what, what happened when you were zero to eight, first two things that pop to my mind are the sound, the first time I got a standing ovation from a school play, it was the first play that I was ever in six years old, my school Christmas pageant, and the sound of applause, like to just, and the feeling that comes with it too. So it starts with the sound, but when I, as soon as I hear the sound, then it's this full immersion thing. I can see the audience, I can see my mom and dad smiling and beaming and, and, and just the, the pride that swelled in me seeing them. I know how the auditorium looked. I know the set, my best friend, Lisa is sitting beside me because she was playing Mary. I was playing Joseph, you know, like all of those things come to my hat, the bow that happened, the bathrobe that I'm wearing that was supposed to somehow be clothes from Jerusalem somehow. I don't know. Like I remember all of all of it and and it takes me back instantly. And it's one of the most important stories in my life because that has had a profound impact on everything that I've done. It's why I got into the theater at an early age. It that sound is a is a high that I've chased ever since. So that that had a really profound impact on me. So that is a story that I can tell over and over and over again. The next most significant memory happened almost two months exactly to the day from that memory. And it's the sound that my mom made when my family physician and a police officer came to the door to tell her that my father would never come home, that he'd been in a single vehicle motor vehicle accident and had perished at the scene. And she made this this just gut-wrenching, spine-tingling sound that reverberated through the house. I swear it, it, you could hear it throughout the town. It just, it was haunting and it's a sound that I never want to hear again. And that has profoundly impacted my life and, and has drastically impacted all of the decisions that I've made. So we all have these stories and I can go through each one of my time periods. So the next time period, you know, I, I remember the first time that I actually grieved for my father was six years later receiving an award for being the top student in, in a class. And then, you know, at 17, I had a stroke that paralyzed the left side of my body and took a year to rehab and, and actually get working again. In my early 20s, you know, I, I think about my time in Vancouver and it's kind of this blend of, of all the time that I, I performed, but also the moment that I realized that I needed to retire from acting seems to be the significant memory that comes to mind. Then the next time period, meeting my wife 
And I know exactly where I was the moment that it happened, how it happened, where we were, the circumstances around it, the next time period, my daughter being born, you know, and how that profoundly impacted my life. So I have at least five stories. And obviously I have more because I know when I've done this, but everybody has at least five stories. So all they have to do is do that quick exercise. So when people want to come work with me, that's usually why they're coming. They feel that they don't have a story, but they want to have impact. They, they have this burning desire to have impact in, in their career and maybe in their work. A lot of the people that I work with are female entrepreneurs who are very successful CEOs of their companies, but feel that they are in this leadership position that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with and don't know how to tell their story impactfully to both lead their teams and then, you know, really drive their business to the next level. And, uh, and that's usually what I work with. It becomes this confidence thing of the first thing, the limiting belief and the story that I have to change is that they don't have stories. So that's the first thing we work on. We find the stories so that they can stop telling the story that they don't have stories. And then once we find those stories, then we work on how to tell them really effectively, how to find those story arcs, how to make it an impactful story so that the audience feels that they're right there with them. And that's usually why people come to me because there are, if you were to Google speaker coach that, you know, there's a thousand that would come up before I would ever show up in the SEO engine but it's the people who really want that performance side of it that work with me. Thanks, Tyler. Like, wh Where would you recommend if somebody wants to get a hold of you? What's the best way to do that? Best thing to do is to go to seantylerfoley.com and there I have all of my information. But I would ask, Ron, that if they're going to go there before they do, they're already listening to the story in your head on a device. So before they go to my website, I would ask that they take a moment to hit pause right now on whatever device they're listening to this and give you and Michelle a five-star review because obviously they're coming back. They've listened this far. They've listened this far. So yeah. we've obviously done something to keep their attention. Right. And so if they're hearing this, I would ask that they give you a five-star review and let them know, you know, in that review, let Michelle and Ron know what your favorite episode was. What was a guest that they had on? What was some something that you've taken away from it? So really that that will help drive the content so that they can have better guests to serve you, the audience who's listening to this right now. And if your audience is willing to give you a five-star review, if they go to SeanTylerFoley.com, right at the above the fold, main thing that they're going to see is an invitation to come to my free Facebook group called Endless Stages. And if they go through the website to get to the free Facebook group, after giving you a five-star review, as a thank you for doing that, they if they go through the website, we'll get a whole bunch of freebies for joining the, the Facebook group. So they'll get a free download PDF of the book, The Power to Speak Naked. They'll get my Drop the Mic Trainer Series, free 20-minute one-on-one conversation with me and my founding partner, Michael Harris, who is a phenomenal human being and, and really great. And those are just one-on-one -on -one get to know you calls. There's nothing attached to it other than just to chat. So if anybody wants to take advantage of that, by all means, go to seantylerfully.com, but only if you give Michelle and Ron a five-star review and say why you're giving that review. And then, then I'm happy to give that gift to your listeners. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate your energy and enthusiasm and, and helping us to get our reviews. We'll, I'd like to open it up to you. What questions do you have of us? We've been asking the questions and you've been there. What, what questions do you have of us? So what is, Michelle, to you, what is the story in your head that needs to be changed? 
my biggest reoccurring one is the one I mentioned before, like I am not enough. And so I had an interesting yesterday. So I, I took up tennis because my husband plays and it gives us something to do. And there was a, an amazing tennis player in the community that we have. And he goes, why don't we just hit? He wants to help me out, which is great. I've only been playing three years. It's a sport that I'm learning takes many, many years to learn how to play. And of course, my story is I'm not good enough, right? I'm walking to the court, you know, so that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I was talking to him afterwards. He's had some health issues. He's probably 70, still an outstanding player. And he goes, yeah, I'd like to just hit the ball because I just feel, you know, when I'm playing with somebody who always play doubles, that I'm going to disappoint my partner and that uh, I'm going to miss a ball and he's going to get mad. And the first thing I thought to him, that is my damn story. You're not allowed to have mm -hmm. my story, right? Because I have that story. And then I had to stop myself and said, wow, just about everybody walks out there and a doubles team probably has that story. Yeah. But I never had that story for my partner. I'm just, at, you know, like we, we talk about my, my rules are not to get injured, mm -hmm. have fun and just play my best and whatever the outcome is, the outcome is, right? Because there's mm -hmm. nothing more than I can do. So those are my three rules, three principles that, that we talk about. But that was pretty instrumental for me on the I am not enough because, you know, Ron has a much earlier story. Everybody's afraid out there, you know, and it's like, wow, that story is really common. And it's not just my story. And actually, I don't need that story anymore. Yeah. And what I think is interesting about that, because you have just exemplified exactly what I was talking about earlier in a much more powerful and illustrative way, because you've told a story of an experience that highlights what I was saying to say, yes, yes, yes. You know, we're nodding along. Ron's nodding. I'm nodding. I guarantee your audience is nodding where we, you know, we, you've put this one player, you know, the best player in, in the town at the, you know, on the court. And we say, you know, they couldn't possibly, but when he shares the thing that he's probably afraid to say, being the best player, that I'm afraid that I'm going to miss the ball. Or I'm afraid I'm going to let my partner down. I'm afraid of this, 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 and this. All of a sudden, now you have commonality with this person and you, you realize that there is no difference. And again, the power of story. It's, it's when we communicate through that, that we can find this symbiotic relationship between us as humans, where we're like, I... I'm the same way. I am exactly that way. And it, the more that we share those stories, the more we realize we're no different. And if we realize that we're no different, then really there's no reason to be afraid of saying these things that we need to say. Yeah, thanks. Great. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks, Tyler. Is there anything else we want to say before we wrap up here at the end? It's been a great, great session. And what else would you like to wrap up with? I would just like to say thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here. Thank you to your audience for putting up with me and listening. And, uh, and thank you for the platform. I really did appreciate the time that you guys put into having me on the show. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Not only does it help the show, but we'd love to hear from you. If you have a minute, share your feedback. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>